the Pinball Network is online. Launching Final Round Pinball Podcast. Player versus player and player versus machine. Welcome to the final round. This is episode 16 of the final round. My name is Jeff Teolis. My name is Martin Robbins. It's great to have you with us. Do you think everyone listening has heard all 16 episodes, or is this, are we getting new people come in? Maybe, possibly. I would say we are. I hope we are. If we are, what do we say about us? (laughs) I don't know. How do we explain what the hell we do here? I'm asking for a friend because sometimes I don't know. So what do we do? Well, we are a pinball podcast. Stop me if I'm going too quickly. And we look at pinball through the lens of competitive play, but it's not all about competitive play. Makes sense to me. I'll listen. Oh, I guess I have to. Yeah. Marty, a little bit about you and I. Marty, longtime host of Head to Head Pinball. I do this thing called Pinball Profile. You also do Melbourne Silverball streaming. And here we are joining forces all across the globe. We've got me in Canada, you in Australia, and uh, our guest today comes from the United States. So we're trying to cover it all. We'll get to our guest in a little bit. But first, how has your last few weeks been, Marty? Well, probably the biggest highlight of the last two weeks was this awesome video that <laughs> we we did because we often talk offline about how much we love reaction videos on YouTube. It's a, it's a bit of a, a trend at the moment, people listening to songs for the first time or trailers for the first time, and we decided to do a reaction video. To the reaction videos, which I think is very meta, very cool, and it was fun to do. Okay, a little behind the scenes, all right? You can see it on our Facebook page because we're huge about social media. I mean, since the last episode, (laughs) we have doubled the number of Twitter listeners. Correct. That's a sidebar. We're also on Instagram at Final Round Pin, I think. Ball? Mm -hmm. Ball, Final Round Pinball. So now we are into videos. We created this reaction to the reactions. It was fun to do. And I kind of said to you the night before doing it, hey, this would be a funny idea. It shouldn't take long, right? And you're like, yeah, well, not too bad. I'm like, look, five minutes tops. That's all we need to do. So I think it ended up being 17 minutes, which you were quite surprised about. What I think the listeners probably don't know is that it was 17 minutes of content. It was five hours of preparing and getting it set up. Five hours we spent to do that 17 minutes that is so nice of you to say we because i had nothing to do with it i just thought oh turn on the mic like what you saw was our first take that's it we just were like uh this will do (laughs) i i think i think we ended up maybe seven takes until we got that final one and no it was our one take yeah, okay, sure. Is it, no, was it, I'm being serious, wasn't it? I, I don't think we did. No. How many times did we start and have to stop because we either started laughing or we it just stopped? There was that whole comment about Celine Dion and Canadian music. We had to take that out because it was completely unscripted. We were just having some fun, guys. We love reaction videos. <laughs> we just thought we would do something funny because we're bored. My point is 
That's the first take we did start to finish. Yes, we may have cut and stopped a few times, but I mean, as far as, okay, this one's the real one. Here we go. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Once we actually started recording, there's no editing in that. That was from woe to go. As I said, we'd already spent five hours getting it ready. I wasn't going to do any more editing. Yeah. And by the way, some of the comments since then, you'll be happy to know that I have upgraded my webcam. So when we first started recording it, (laughs) Marty says to me, he goes, "Uh, what's with your webcam? It looks like shit. Well, you're technically right. This webcam I figured out was purchased in 2002. It had 1.3 pixel or something like that. And you're like, what? So thanks to uh, Joe Cheravino. He gave me a good one uh, on Amazon. Grab that. And uh, should we do another one? Oh, you'll see every blemish on my face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Play count the freckles. After the amount of effort that went into it versus the return, I'm not <laughs> rushing to do another one, if I'm what? really honest. Not, well, considering I, I really did do a lot of prep and then post, it was a lot of effort just for a bit of a sight gag. It was a bit of a gag, but we had fun doing it. Thank you, Marty, for fun. all your efforts. I appreciate that. You know, there's been 16 shows where I've done uh, hours and hours of editing. So you bitching about one video. Um, okay. All right. Fine. It's fine. Yeah. You know, I do editing too. <laughs> I know. Come on. All right. Fine. Anyway. So okay. it, it was it was fun. Uh, watch it. It's up on YouTube. It's on our Facebook page. It's hilarious. Well, we thought so anyway. <laughs> our family enjoyed it. So there. Correct. Absolutely. Anything else happened in the last couple of weeks? Well, do we want to talk about the fact that we were on another podcast? Yes, that's right. So we were on the Loser Kid People podcast. We're in a group chat with them. We do chat quite often. And they were like, hey, how about you come on and talk about Avengers? Because it's not, even though we are going to talk about Avengers Infinity Quest this episode, we're not really your deep dive review of a pinball type podcast so it was kind of good to be able to do that on somebody else's podcast that's what you and i said right as soon as we were done we're like oh good we don't have to do it they did it for us (laughs) (laughs) so if you want to know what our thoughts are on avengers go on the loser kid pimple podcast and let's be honest the reason they got us on they're totally cashing in on our fame all right if you (laughs) listen to orbital albert episode 390 he ranked the top 10 podcasts that he believes are out there. And uh, quite a few from uh, the Pinball Network made that. And um, I guess we did too. Did we? I haven't listened to it yet. I saw it came up and I'm like, oh, do I listen to it? I'm, surely we would, we would not have made the list. If we did, we would be nine or ten. I wasn't sure we would make it because of the nicheness of our show or a show within a show or a show within a network. But according to Albert... By the way, buddy, the check's in the mail. He considers us the number one podcast out there. So no wonder Loser Kid said, okay, we got to get Marty and Jeff on. It'll help us. (laughs) Absolutely. Riding on our coattails. Well, there you go. That's that's really nice to hear. I personally don't think, without knowing the other nine podcasts in the top ten, I don't personally think we're better than any of them. Agreed. But, But we just turn the mics on, hit record, and shit comes out. And whatever happens, happens. I know this, and I can speak for Marty as well, too. 
we're not out to be number one. We're not out to be everybody's favorite. We just want to do something for which we enjoy doing for ourselves first and foremost. And if people like it, great, awesome. But as we've said time and time again, please find the podcasts, plural, that you like. Enjoy them, support them. The same for the videos, the streams, and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to like just one. One doesn't have to be the best. Support and enjoy them all. We do. Yep, absolutely. So what else has happened in your fortnight? Okay, my wife Anne and I did something I didn't think would ever be considered in my lifetime. We took a Zoom class to learn how to become pilots. Really? Honestly, this is the first you're hearing about it, so that's your reaction. Yeah, um, Anne has always wanted to do that. Her father flew for years and years and years, kind of a Cessna plane, you know, on the water and and stuff at cottages and whatnot. So we have an airport really close to where we live. And, you know, there's a few planes for sale. And we were like, hmm, is it practical? What can we do? We've got family that live far away. I guess in that sense, it'd be kind of neat, certainly versus driving. And goes, you could fly to pinball tournaments. I'm like, hold on a second here. Now now we're talking. So we've kicked the tires at some flight schools. And uh, we have an orientation flight for each of us to uh, see if this is what we want to do. So uh, yours truly might be, I'd like to be known as Captain Teolis from now on. Okay. Here's a couple of things that come to mind straight away after hearing this for the first time. First of all, I would never, ever in my life, get in a plane that you are flying, okay? I'm just putting that out there. Right there, just wouldn't. Second of all, when you say you would fly a plane to a tournament, first of all, that's really fucking wanky. How'd you get here, I flew a plane here. No, no, (laughs) no, you're a wanker. Come on, that's way better. But second of all, think about how much it's going to cost you to hire a plane than park it at an airport. Hold on. Take it. It's going to be cheaper to just We've fly. We've already looked into that, and my wife did it in comparison to the cost of pinball machines. I had nothing to say when she said that. But I'm comparing it to the costs of actually just getting on a plane, buying a ticket, versus actually having to hire a plane, unless you're going to buy a plane as well. The idea well. is to buy a plane. Is it really? Yes. How much does a plane cost? Well, it depends on what you want, but I mean- Okay. Is it a hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, no. five million? It's not a hundred thousand. Not even close. Okay, what is it? Less than that. I had no idea. I thought it would. I'm thinking Australian dollars. So let's say sixty thousand US. We can get a decent plane for under fifty. Okay, so this is kind of weird that all of a sudden this podcast we're now talking about buying planes. Like, <laughs> how do we? How did we get there? I just, I was, well, I don't know. Uh, it's a bit of a stretch. You know, you look at Avengers and there's all kinds of wire form. It makes you think of airborne. Airborne, yes. I've got, got aviator yep. glasses. Uh, the one <laughs> missing is a plane and a pilot's license. So there you go. I mean, it's really cool. It, it is, I think that's, that's kind of really cool. I mean, it absolutely screams late life crisis <laughs> because. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's the Corvette I'm buying. <laughs> Good on you. Well done. We'll see. You know, I do know this, like whether I pursue it or whether Anne does, I would say Anne certainly has more interest because of the connection to doing it when she was younger with her father for years and years and years, sure. right? Okay. So I get sure. that. I do see some practicality based on the location of where we live, a small airport, the surprisingly low cost of the plane. Now, that being said, gas and storage mm. and all that other kind of stuff, maintenance, yep. th- that's pricey. Don't get me wrong. So. Yeah. 
again, you know, when we talk about buying pinball machines, oh, we're coming back to pinball. Thank God. You know, when you buy a pinball machine, it retains the value. Planes, unlike cars, also retain the value. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. let's say it's a hobby for a couple of years. Yep. What it again, it's, it's saying, and we've said this before, is that we just are earning so much money by doing this podcast that we're now looking at buying planes. That's what it's become. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, you know. So uh, if you want to start a podcast and try to cash in on the spots of the weeks, we've got most of the good ones. I'm sorry about that, but they just flock to us. But there might be some scraps out there. Anyway, good luck to you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And now our sponsor of the week is Boeing. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> uh, so shall we bring it back to pinball and bring on our guest of the week? We apologize after 16 episodes. You know, you can't always get the greatest guests on, but that's okay. Hopefully they have some information to say and we'll try to make it interesting. Let's see who we've got here. Okay, I guess we'll he'll do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the number one player in the world, Raymond Davidson. Hey, thanks for that uh, <laughs> flattering intro, Jeff. But you're also, you're, you're more than just the number one pinball player as well. You're now working for Stern. Yeah, it's going great. Um, just lots of coding, and it's really cool to see kind of, you know, how how the inside of a pinball machine works, and and uh, it's something I've always sort of you know dreamed of doing, which is like take a career but have it be something that you're really passionate about. So it's it's really cool, and you know I've dabbled in visual pinball in the past, and it actually kind of helped me get into coding was visual pinball. Um, so now it's kind of gone full, full circle, and I'm now coding pinball machines. But the coding aspect is similar to what you were doing before when you were living out in Washington. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, programming has been my my job, um, but you know, not for games or pinball machines or anything exciting. Do you find the coding you're doing now harder or easier than what you were doing before? I mean, I think all coding is is hard, or else it wouldn't, you know, be in high demand. It's just different. You know, it's like before coding like an an Android app or an iPhone app, you really, the hard part is learning how to deal with the libraries and the, um, you know, working with Apple and Google and their UI things and, and learning, you know, the tricks of the trade for that. Whereas here it's uh, it's a little more old school. So you're, you're actually doing like, you know, lots of for loops and keeping track of things and, you know, managing everything yourself, but we have system libraries, which are helpful. So you're not doing everything yourself, but you definitely, I feel like you're a lot more in the weeds than um, than what I was doing, uh, which which is is cool because you have a lot more control. Raymond, you're a man under the age of thirty, and Marty and I are just over thirty. So there are young people listening right now that may want to get into coding and certainly are fascinated by pinball, like you are. What are the right steps to go down that path to learn coding? What kind of courses should people be taking? I mean, I think the the best thing you can do is try to get a, a degree um, in computer science or computer software engineering. But, uh, you know, if you can't do that, uh, just the Internet is full of resources for, uh, you know, how to. I mean, it's funny, even though I have a degree, like so much time during my days uh, in my first couple years of programming, we're just spent Googling, you know, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Like on the job, that's just that's just part of being a software developer is learning how to Google. And so, if you can, you know, find the information you're looking for and figure out how to apply it, there's nothing really stopping you from being a, a programmer. You just gotta have a lot of patience. <laughs> 
Marty, if they can only dream, they can have it. I think that's what we're hearing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think you, you need to you have a you need to have a mind that's predisposed to that kind of world, like being able to to deep dive and understand a lot of coding logic, but also yes. being able to understand multiple threads of logic at any one time. Is that right? Yeah, you have to really be able to follow thoughts all the way and and kind of you know, look at a situation and, and be like, why isn't this working? And just step through step by step without losing track of where you are. Um, and you can't get frustrated. You can't just say, well, I told it to do this and it's it's not doing that. Therefore, it, it's stupid. It's wrong. Ah, I'm going home. You know, no, the computer is never wrong. There's always some reason it's doing what it's doing. And you just got to be patient and you got to be able to figure out what it is. It's obviously a, a, a big move to move states to go and work for, for Stern. Obviously, it, it was worth it for you. What is what is the goal for you? Uh, would you want to be lead code on a game? Let me answer that question. It's to slowly kill Tim Sexton. And <laughs> yeah. No, why would I do that? No. He's in your path, Raymond. You're a number one player. We can Everybody work in, in, in harmony, Jeff. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I'd love to lead a game uh, at some point. Um, it's uh, just taken a while to learn all the ins and outs. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be thrown as lead and uh, basically be doing everything I'm doing now, which is spending half my time, you know, learning the system and how things work. But the deadline doesn't change. So I'd have basically half the time to do all the work of a lead programmer. And so I'm going to use, you know, my first year here just uh, doing support. But um the support programmers do more than than people know. You do uh, a lot of code that the um, you know sometimes like the designers will want something and the lead programmer is pretty busy doing something else. And so then it's up to you. You get to do it. So uh, I really like uh, what I'm doing right now. It's really great, and I don't have to um, have quite all the responsibilities of a lead coder, but I get to do a lot of fun things and and at the end of the day make pinball machines. So Tim Sexton lives another day. That's fine. Uh, we joke because he's a friend of all of ours, and uh, we've seen his path. A great player like yourself, coding background, now doing this. He did the lead on Black Knight Sword of Rage. But when he first got there, I remember really quickly, the first game that came out was Iron Maiden once he was there. And in his short period of time, he had access to do some some work on there. He wasn't obviously the lead coder, but he, he got in that game. That's kind of the same thing for you with Avengers Infinity Quest. Yeah, well, I actually, when I first started, I was working on Jurassic Park, partly because I made a comment on Tilt Forums about how there was a lack of fossil champions. And uh, basically, as soon as I got here, uh, the lead systems guy was like, hey, implement fossil champion if you want it. Hey, big mouth. I saw you take a shot at me. Here you go. And so, uh, yeah, so I got to do that. And it was actually a great way to, to learn my way around um, doing a bunch of little small things for Jurassic Park. So that, that latest code update, the 1.02, was pretty much all the stuff I did in my first few weeks was all those little tweaks. The you know combo indicator, a fossil champion, uh, DNA stuff, all those things. So can I, can I then ask a question, hopefully you can answer this, about the, the team there. So let's say you know, you've got the software team at Stern, because I, I think that some people do put everything in one in into one meaning. If you created the rules, therefore you coded the machine. That's not necessarily the case because somebody might come up with the idea, 
But then there's also got to be a group of people that are implementing this. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, especially with Keith Games, since he usually has a pretty strong vision for the rules of his games, he'll, you know, write up basically kind of an outline of, of all the things he wants, and then the programmer is basically, you know, tasked to put them in the game. But, you know, occasionally you gotta you got to fill in the gaps, um, you know, ask Keith, is this okay? I thought of this cool thing. Is this what you meant? Uh, can I do this thing here? And so it's just a, a constant uh, team effort. So it's not just one person aside from maybe like, you know, Lyman working on Elvira or uh, Lonnie working on Stranger Things. Uh, so each team kind of works uh, differently. Uh, the the team I'm on the uh, with uh, Keith and, and Rick, uh, we basically all in- interact together where, like I said, Keith has ideas and then either me or Rick uh, or some of the other support programmers, Mike and uh, Brett, you know, they'll they'll t- take on either doing light shows or doing r- little rules for modes, specific modes, that sort of thing. Um, so each team works a little differently. Yeah, look, I, I said the reason why I was keen to talk about that is that, um, you know, you, let's say we talk about Tim Sexton being uh, the coder on, on Black Knight. He's not just one person that's worked on Black Knight. And I guess I kind of just want to give credit to those people that also work on the machines, typing away, putting code in, but don't necessarily get their name up in lights. And you're now that that person because you worked on Jurassic Park, but it's not seen as a Ray Day code game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I, I even uh, Lonnie and, and Lyman get help. You know, everyone, like I said, is collaborative effort. So we're not, there's not just people who work here that, that don't work. So if, if you're a coder, you're working on a game. So pretty much every game, you know, has, has different coders um, that contributed in some way. And uh, you actually, if you look at the, um, the developer credits on Jurassic Park, uh, you'll see my name and and everyone else's name that that worked on it, uh, and you can see that in attract mode, uh, it'll just scroll by if it sits there long enough. So one one thing I've also heard is that the coding team is a really really hard working team. Is that true? Yeah, I actually was in the midst of of coding more on Avengers uh, right before this call. I totally had forgotten about this call. The time just kind of flew on by. So yeah, we we're always. Hard at work here. So the delays are based on final round. You're going to say if there's any delays in shipping games or code updates, it's because you're talking to us. I'm good with it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think it's a greater good if you want to know the truth. <laughs> you know what I liked hearing about your answer about this kind of whole team is I remember when George Gomez was just recently on Pinball Profile, and I'm sure he mentioned it as well when he was on Head to Head, is that it's not just that direct team. It's not just Tim and Steve on Black Knight as the example we're using. It's everyone else kind of getting a look at it. So Dwight might have a look at it. Lonnie might have a look at it. You, others, everyone kind of looks at the other designers and gives suggestions too because the more minds, the better. And I think there's still that unique style. It's still going to be a Steve Ritchie game. It's still going to be a Tim Sexton design game, but it doesn't hurt to have a little bit of input from others. Yeah, it's a little harder right now because of the COVID. And I, like, for instance, I haven't even played uh, Ninja Turtles, except for maybe once uh, Jack Danger's Place, just because I I really wanted to play it. (laughs) But, you know, normally if we're all in the office there's the big Stern Arcade there, and, and during lunch breaks, you could, you know, check out people's games and play them and, and give input that way. But it's a little harder right now. We're all a little bit isolated, um, unfortunately. But, uh, 
We do what we can. You must have a game there at your home to be coding Avengers. Yep. I'm always a, a little bit nervous moving uh, the, the play fields into my place. Uh, if anybody's, you know, got binoculars spying on me, <laughs> being like, oh, what's, what's the new game? What's, what's coming in? So if you want to help Raymond move things to his place, contact him on Facebook uh, in the next few months should there be any future games. Raymond's always looking for some some grunts to lift heavy machinery. So uh, I think, you know, there, there might be a long list of people in Chicago to give you a hand. <laughs> so then, can we move on to uh, Avengers Infinity Quest? Yeah. And you're coding on it. Obviously, there, there's been some... The, the streams are out there now. All the information is out there. We've talked about it. We went on the Loser Kid Pinball podcast, and we effectively just fawned all over this game, thinking that it is the second coming. It just it looks good. <laughs> it, it really does. You've probably seen it closer than than we have. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is gonna be awesome." I, I really love the layout. It's just so unique, and it has certain shots that just feel different than any other shots in pinball. It's got that uh, the tower on the uh, by the left of the disc, and it's like a vertical magnet. So you shoot it, magnet catches, and it it just feels so satisfying. It's just like chunk. And then there's like the Marvel ramp on the right that's like the big upside down loop, which, uh, you know, on a pro, sure, you miss out on the loop, but you still get another spinner, which is satisfying to hit. So it's kind of, they're almost two different games. And so that's kind of interesting. Um, I actually haven't shot a a pro yet, but I assume that uh, it shoots great just because, you know, Keith doesn't make bad games. So yeah, I I just love everything. I love the gauntlet, the upper ramp that you can loop with the upper flipper. People were wondering, I was, you know, seeing places like, oh, I, I wonder if there's like a rule for like looping it. Uh, and yep, there is. Uh, there's there's a couple of different ways that you get rewarded for, for looping that uh, gauntlet ramp. And, uh, you know, there's all sorts of cool rule interactions. Just been been a really fun time uh, working on it from basically the, the ground up. I mean, I, I joined and Rick had done a lot of the, the hard work, you know, setting up the mountains of coding source files that kind of provides like a structure and then i can just come in and and it's like keith asked for a mode you know uh it's time for you to implement thor multiball and i'm like okay and then i just sort of go to the thor multiball file and and start coding up what i wanted to do it, it's been super fun super uh pretty spectacular it's been great we've noticed on keith's other games they are definitely not linear i think that and just looking at the playfield, haven't seen it yet, but I would assume this is also the case, a non-linear game. Keith, Keith plays his game every day um, on the newest build, and he's always like, the thing he's looking for is game progression and how, you know, do I feel like I'm blocked? Do I feel like I'm chopping wood? How can I resolve that? And so he'll, he'll give me ideas or he'll ask for ideas of like, what should we do about this? I kind of got stuck in this, you know, now I had to shoot this 20 times and I don't really like that. And so we, we work to resolve those. That's why you won't find Keith games um, that feel very wood choppy or, or linear. Is He plays them every day and he knows what he likes and knows what he doesn't like. Just just looking at it, we're thinking... He, he followed up Iron Maiden with Jurassic Park. Yep, well done. And then this... The, the question that, that people are asking is... 
are we seeing a signature Elwyn style? <laughs> and I yeah. sort of said kind of no, but do you see it? So I read when I was perusing, um, when people were speculating what his third game would be, somebody basically nailed like all four things without n- realizing it. They were like, well, let's see. I, I bet this game, you know, he will have a, a captive ball, a uh, spinner, a upper flipper, a uh, and and uh, the fourth one was a unique plunge, like the way that it plunges. And Avengers has all four of those. It has a captive ball, it has a spinner, it has uh, an upper flipper, and the plunge goes around the right orbit panther loop. So you full plunge, and it goes right into that uh, you know right orbit, turning into a ramp shot, which uh, is is unique and uh, is nice because it gives you an option where they whether you just want to full plunge to a flipper or not. So I guess in summary. I think Keith has certain things that he just won't make a game without, but it doesn't necessarily mean like he's going to have all those things. He just happened to have all of them this this time. Uh, you know, Iron Iron Maiden didn't have a. Um, uh, let's see, what did it not have? There was something it didn't. Have. Well, it had a, it had a, it had a cool plunge. <laughs> so it did, it, yeah, it had a plunge that well that that yeah went around the loop. It had a captive ball, it had a spinner, it had an upper flipper. Yeah, I guess it had all four of those things too. I'm trying to think. There was something. <laughs> and then Jurassic Park has a cool plunge, has yep. spinners, has an upper flipper. Yeah. But it's he may have those elements, but they're not in the same location. And yeah, there's yes, exactly. Like like uh, I guess what I'm thinking of is Jurassic Park has a captive ball, sort of. Right. It's it's like a, a different use of it. And uh, oh, he also loves having uh, some sort of unique toy that influences the actual like physicality of the game in jurassic park you have the truck which changes whether or not those targets are available in this game you have the disc spinner which actually can block your pops target shot or the sanctum target behind it uh in iron maiden i guess that's the thing that maybe iron maiden didn't quite have uh but it did have a pharaoh bullseye target based on you know where you hit it you'd get more or less points so he he loves those sort of physical toys that you know influence decision making and, and changes the state. I guess is what he, how he refers to it. Yeah, and maybe you can add a fifth element too. Not that this is going to be a pattern because there is no pattern if they're not in the same spot. And there's only so many things you can do. But the fifth thing might be a difficult shot through the pops, and it looks like that might be the case with this one too. Yeah, that's true. Um, that through the pops shot is funny. It's like. It looks impossible, but then you just combo it. You just when you're in the flow and you just take a shot at it and it just sails right through it. Oh, it's so satisfying! And it and I, I've actually backhanded it too. You can backhand it, which is is pretty sweet. So you and Jeff are good players. I'm not going to put myself in that, but Jeff. Nor should you, Jeff. Not even top fifty anymore. I think fifty one. Oh, come on, COVID. But, give me a break. Whatever. Um, but here's, here's what I want to say. So I, I've got, obviously I've got a Jurassic Park and I think Jurassic Park difficulty is, is pretty, pretty reasonable, pretty fair. I know people that have got Jurassic Parks and they think it's brutal. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Avengers? Do you think it's, it's that same sort of difficulty level? Because again, you're saying hit it through the pops, you can get it. Um, I could get the, the ball to the left ramp through the pops on Iron Maiden. A lot of people couldn't. Well, it's funny. Avengers, actually, Keith was quoted saying that he wanted it to be kind of in the middle of Iron Maiden and Jurassic Park in terms of difficulty. 
But man, our the first Whitewoods that we've been playing, Avengers was kicking our butt. Like it was just destroying us. And uh, that was because like the outlanes were in their normal default up position. And so Keith was like, this is silly. Like, and so he actually moved them to the middle or, or even maybe the down position. And uh, he's advocating for that. So if you get your game and it's for some reason in the up position, I would recommend putting those outlines either all the way down or at the very least in the middle because that's how the designer intends the game to play. If, if the game's just constantly kicking your butt, you can't progress anywhere. You can't get anywhere. So I think with Avengers in particular... The reason it kept outlining so much is there's a lot more side-to-side action on this game than his previous games because you're hitting those drop targets on the left, you're hitting, you know, the upper flipper goes sideways, you know, when you miss the orbit shot, uh, the disc throws the ball out of control anytime you hit it, and uh, it just wasn't any fun. So he made the call that he wants he wants the outlanes, you know, pulled in a little bit. So hopefully uh, when people get their games, it'll play in between difficulty of Iron Maiden and Jurassic Park, because Jurassic Park is really hard, except for a couple of shots like the spinner and the left ramp. Every other shot is not easy and deadly. <laughs> I think all the obvious features that you've described is what everyone is seeing and like, wow, look at that. Look at the wire forms. Look at these ramps. Look at the upper flipper shots. But the one thing I think is going to be the biggest surprise, and I don't know this, but I just know the possibilities are there is that three by three grid and what it can do for scoring. Am I on something there? Oh yeah, that is that is a great feature of this game is that drop targets. It's um you know, it's think of it as Walking Dead meets Ripley's? Yeah. Johnny Mnemonic? Right. Uh, no, more like Ripley's. Cause so in Ripley's you get awards for getting stuff in a line. And on Walking Dead, you have to time the drop targets uh, inserts, right? So the way this one works is the, the grid will slowly move between one of the nine squares. You shoot a target, locks it in. You complete the targets, then it gives you that square, and then the grid starts moving again. And the goal is to try to get three squares in a row. Uh, you're also getting little awards for getting the squares, so you're you're not just all in on trying to get a bingo. Uh, for instance, one of the awards is light lock, which is huge, you know. Um, but the big awards come when you can get bingos, and those start your... Uh, you know, super modes, as we call them. So that's that's where the real um, fun is going to be. What's interesting, obviously, about The Walking Dead, if we can continue with that comparison, is it's the it, the risk-reward is completely there. It, it is very risky, but the reward is bloodbath. If you're on a premium, it activates your, your bombs and all that kind of stuff. Is this as much of a risk-reward, meaning is it as dangerous a shot but obviously the rewards are there. Yeah. Um, like I said, you get you get awards as you're going, and the bingo awards are all good. You're never going to get a bingo award and be bummed that you got it. You know, it's, it's going to start another mode, and uh, the modes are pretty high scoring if you play them well, you know, as, as Keith games are. Uh, and you can really chain together a couple of those and really start racking up the points. You don't have to answer this because I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just think of what the Infinity story is and the gauntlet and him trying to get the stones. I'm thinking if those are the modes and you don't complete the mode, you have to complete the mode to get the stone. That's just my thought, but what do I know? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you have to win your quests uh, to get the... 
I think they call them gems in the comic version. Uh, oh, okay. And so, yeah, you, you uh, the modes are, are pretty important, and uh, you'll want to do well at them. And basically, what's cool about this game is on the uh, premium, you know how the disc goes up? Yes. You can lock a ball in there, and it shows it in the subway, and those balls will help you on your uh, on your quests for the gems. So you'll you'll get extra help with those. It all all will be revealed at the uh, the streams that will be happening or have already happened if you're listening to this <laughs> in the future. So here you are at Stern Pinball now and doing coding. I kind of want to know well, what kind of coder is Raymond going to be. I know what kind of player he is, and uh, there aren't too many people that can say that they do what you do. But tell us, Raymond. I want you to think what your five favorite games are for code and i want a mix of new and older games oh wow uh put me on a on a spot here you're well you you gotta you gotta earn your keep yeah come on step it up kid um well i've always liked simpsons pinball party so i kind of like that aspect of code where you can you can kind of keep bringing stuff in and um yeah marty doesn't get it he also likes family guy jeff so keep going family guy's fun i love family guy (laughs) family guy's fun yeah Let's see. Five games. Jeez, that's so many. Listen, if I said one or two, as a Stern employee, it's pretty easy to say, oh, Stern game A, B, C, D, E. Well, I want to know what's in the back catalog, too. Yeah, what what Data Reese or Sega games? <laughs> <laughs> no, but the old Williams Bally, you know, I mean, I, I want to know, you know, what games were maybe ahead of their time? What were the games that, wow, you know, this is more than just shots? Well, I really like some of those games where the multi-ball... You have to kind of work for it, like Creature, Adam's Family, where there's like big points, but you have to hit them. But at the same time, I recognize that if somebody gets to a multi-ball, you don't want to just not give them anything. You know, like if if um, it's pretty rare now to see a multi-ball where only like an upper flipper shot's lit for a jackpot. So I kind of like I like the layered approach of, you know, give players things that are the low hanging fruit, but then also give them those tougher, tougher things to shoot for. So, like, you know, in Creature, you have to pretty much get a jackpot to get any points. Or, what is it? Like, like no good you gophers. The, you gotta throw it in the pops, too. and Yeah, you have to do, like, all this stuff just to, to do anything. And if you don't do anything, if you don't do that, you know, your multiball ends and you don't get too many points. I, I, I like to provide a little more opportunities so that as long as, you're keep, as long as you're hitting some things and as long as you're doing purposeful shooting, you know, you should get... You should get some points for your trouble, uh, but obviously you won't get anywhere near as many points if you do the thing, which is getting the super. Uh, the worst is where you have a bad combination of either there is no thing, like it's just all just spray and pray, like everything's lit, everything in the jackpot, there's no real purpose. That's bad. I don't like that. And then, right, the other extreme is the, like we just talked about, where only one thing is lit. <laughs> but back then, those sort of scoring opportunities, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of saying is that they're probably self-contained. If you think about the, the multi-ball in Adam's Family, because you, you, you brought that up, all the points are to be earned in that multi-ball. You either do it or you don't. These days, it's a lot more complicated than that because you've got a lot more stacking. Like, I'm not, you know, multi-balls can be stacked together, but you're also stacking modes with multi-ball I've sort of said this, but not to a coder, and I'm keen to hear it from, from your point of view, how more complex that is when it comes to coding, ensuring that there's balancing because you've now got, you know, sometimes three things being stacked together. 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, whenever we're coding a multi-ball, you know, one of the first things you do when you set it up is you have to say, all right, can I start this multi-ball? Like, when am I allowed to start this multi-ball? And then the other side of the coin is, when this multi-ball is running, what am I allowed to start? And basically using those two levers, you can dictate what can get stacked with what. And sometimes you'll see games where one of the levers will work one direction but not the other, which is interesting. Um, and that's sort of a, a nice way, a nice compromise, right? Where some games, everything is stacked. Like Simpsons is everything is stackable all the time with everything. You know, that might be a little too far in that direction for some people. And then the other extreme is as soon as you start anything, everything else is locked out. And I don't really like that either. Um, so it's fun to find the right mixture to give the players some some exciting moments, but also not feel like, oh, well, this is pointless if you don't stack everything, you know. And also you don't want to limit the player because limiting, limiting sucks when you're stuck, you know, chopping wood or being forced to play certain modes, that sort of thing. I guess the the further point of that really is around scoring and how it can then add complexities to how points yeah. are rewarded yeah. to the player. So one big example of this is like Stern Star Wars, and it's been fixed now, but there was a, a point where you'd start a multiball, but you wouldn't do anything in the multiball except for shoot the force targets because the targets just kept going up in value. So similarly, if you got into a state on a game where you had a mode running, um, like, say, some super targets mode, hypothetically, and, you know, targets are pretty dangerous. But if you're allowed to stack that with a multiball, well, now that mode, you have to be a little careful. You can't have it be worth as much as if you were forced to play it in single ball play. It's all about risk versus reward, because you know someone is going to stack multiball with your mode if it's possible, and you just don't want that to be super exploitable. You know, a little bit of, of fun is good and encourage players to do it, but you don't want it to dwarf anything else in the game. Before you went to Stern, are you somebody that likes to find these exploits? Uh, I He's a Kaylee George prodigy. Are I you know, kidding? I know. I know. No, I, I left that. To, I was the last person to know of, of an exploit. I, I always just played pretty much the games as they were, you know, laid out to me. Actually, you know, what? can I jump in on that, Roman, for a second? Let me say something about Raymond. We talk about him being the number one player in the world, but I know, and you know this, Raymond, there are a lot of games you don't know the rules to and you're just like, before you step up. I've been there with you. You're like, uh, okay, what do I have to do here? What's one or two or three things to do? It's not like a, you know, this isn't obviously a pump and dump game. It's more of a match play game where you just have to beat your competitor. Just do enough as opposed to play the long game and set up the big score or the super stack or something like that. So I always wonder what you do when you come up to a new game or you don't know the rules. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you just want to find the few key things and then try to do them really well. <laughs> you know, if you can figure out, oh, I can get to multiball if I just do this. Well, once I'm in multiball, you know, I'm going to use my skills to start learning the shots and finding out maybe through trial and error of like, oh, that jackpot wasn't worth crap. Like, I'm not shooting that anymore. Like, mm. uh, but, you know, and you watch your opponents uh, to see where they're getting the points from and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's just all about adapting. If you wanted to study for a game, you know, you have two minutes before you have to play a game, just read the whole rule sheet and learn everything about it. It's just, it's not, I mean, it, it might be useful, but I think it's more useful to just 
have the, a couple things that you know will will work because I ran into this trap at, at City Champ one time where we were playing Pirates of the Caribbean, Jersey Jack, and I thought I'd go on tilt forums and read the uh, wiki of all the characters and what all the abilities do, and I found one that I thought looked pretty good, and I picked it, and apparently it wasn't implemented in that version of the code, and it basically did absolutely nothing, and I got, like, third place or whatever. But the lesson of the story was (laughs) I, I probably shouldn't have tried to learn every little thing about it, you know, like, I don't need to know that a skull is worth 1,500 points or whatever. I just need to know, you shoot here to start chapters. You know, the more things you hit, the more it's worth. But more importantly, just start this multiball, and, and good things will happen. And that's kind of when I do best. You have to pick and choose what you learn. Anytime there's a multiball, a playfield multiplier, or like Metallica, a single ball mode that's worth a lot of points, those three things I think you, you want to definitely know before you step up to a game. But... Any other little nuances or any other things, uh, we'll just, you'll learn as you go. The one thing you didn't mention, and it does surprise me that it's not listed anywhere, whether it's on a little yellow card or you just have to find it. In all new games, you never are told in a multiball where it is to add a ball. I wonder why that's the case. It's just not, it's just not enough uh, room to put everything. You know, I, I've been trying working here to put info on the display when I can, but a lot of times I'll have to take stuff off because it, you know, if you have a, a paragraph on the screen or like, for example, when when you would get a, a jackpot, I actually put on the screen, it was like, jackpot values raised by 50K, this value raised by this, this, this. And as you're, and then I, I would play it and I'd watch and it'd flash up for like two seconds. And I'm like, this is completely useless. Like, <laughs> so it's just the limitations of, the nature of the game, unfortunately, um, there's just no way to fit all that information. But, you know, you can get better at it and get creative with it. Uh, sound callouts help a lot. Lights lights help a lot. If if uh, the cannon is this crazy rainbow color on Iron Maiden, you should probably shoot it because it's probably going to do something good. Uh, in this case, you know, add a ball during Trooper. So look for lights. Yeah, look, look for lights. And also just ask people, is, is there an add a ball? Because... If somebody knows there's an Adderball, they're going to tell you. And now all of a sudden you've went from zero information to a non-zero amount of information. And anything divided by zero is infinity. So, it, you know, just learn what you can. The, the amount of people I know that don't know how to get Adderball in Metallica just baffles me. But I also remember at the time I, I knew that when the snake's flashing green, that's Adderball. But it wasn't until someone told me you have to get the four picks that I knew how to even light that. So it comes back to what you're saying is you kind of just got to know. So ask, assume, assume it's going to be there, but ask. I mean, I respect Raymond's reasoning for, you know, how quickly things change in the game and it's hard to put the information up there. That is one of the most important things as important as a jackpot, maybe, if you can extend a multi-ball. And it's it's every company. It's everyone that does it. And I don't know why they do it. If it. Is it something secretive? And I'm now hearing it's more about just the limitations. But I personally believe it's a missed opportunity because, as you just said, Martin, that's unfortunate that people aren't going to see this great thing you can do on a wonderful game like Metallica or any game, Jurassic, Iron Maiden, all these games. But what are you, you know, saying like, that you think, would prefer? Think, think, think of Black Knight. Think of how you have to do it in Black Knight. 
I actually don't even know how you do it in Black Knight. I just shoot the left orbit and That's it. Twice. You have to do you have to do that twice and then I think it goes I think it's been a while since I played it. You do that twice and then back into the mode starter. There's three shots you have to do. But I'm just saying that's pretty important. At least on Black Knight. Black Knight I think actually has an insert that says Adderball. Isn't that right? Yeah, well, it does. So I think I think we've gotten a lot better relaying when Adderball is lit. But it's a lot. It's still hard to know how to light the Adaball. So on Avengers, that Sanctum target behind the disc actually has three LEDs on the billboard behind it. Um, it's like extra ball, spot iron target, and Adaball. So mm. if you just you know pay attention up there and you oh, see okay. an Adaball, that's great. You know you'll get Adaball. But the question is, okay, how do I uh, how do I light that Adaball? And uh, you know. You still kind of have to ask around or, or figure it out. Although there are some lighting cues that help you. On Avengers, like, if you ever see that little, there's like an eye of Agamotto, which is Doctor Strange's, is that is that like the thing that holds yep. the time thingy? Yeah, so there's like an insert on the play field that blinks orange. And when that's blinking, it means spinning the disc will do something good. And so I think just using more lights like that will, will help people figure out, you know, what they should be shooting. Yeah. Again, it comes down to, as you said, how much room you've got on the playfield to explain this. But I also kind of think it's it's kind of nice to explore these things and discover them as well. Keep a, keep it a bit of a mystery. Yeah, I know you do. I, I mean, I, I think it's just, if we're talking about competition pinball, that's a great... Or not even competition pinball, but you're playing casually with somebody. Maybe it's at an arcade or a league, and somebody does that, and you're like, "What the hell what was that?" And and they don't even know. It's hard to duplicate it. You know what I mean? Because it's usually more than just one shot. It's it's a combination of shots, like we described in Black Knight. So just I, I'm talking to a coder right now. We have thousands, maybe millions of listeners on Final Round. I'm just trying to get people to see if I'm way off or is that also a concern because I, I'm a guy who likes to know, I, I like the surprises. Don't get me wrong, Marty. I totally do like surprises. That's just a, a key element I think is, is not a surprise. I mean, when, where do you draw the line though? If p- playing pinball is a competitive thing, you know, shouldn't you get an advantage for taking that extra five seconds to ask somebody where the Adderall is versus someone that just steps up to the machine and doesn't even think about that? Like there is something to be said there where it's not all bad. I don't know. Like, do you want to be the number one player in the world by knowing more or playing better? Well, the thing is, in order to be number one, you have to play better. It's just knowing more might... There's different like levels. It's, it's kind of like if you're a competitive Magic the Gathering player and people complain, oh, he just has the more expensive cards. And to a point, that's true. If you have more expensive cards, you'll beat people with less expensive cards. But in order to win the Pro Tours... Everyone has the most expensive cards, and it just comes down to playing better. So I think it's kind of like that in pinball, where you know there's a little bit of that involved. Um, that said, I'm not against more information being shown. No, don't don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's something to think about. That you know, it's it's not all bad. That it it, it forces people into these level up moments. I guess is what I'm saying is that if you want to be good at pinball, you got to take that extra couple seconds and just think is there an Adderball and try to find it or ask somebody about it rather than it just happening. And I don't know. I think there is some, I, some advantage to it. I don't know. Listen, I, I'm not a, a saint by any means. I, 
I've had it happen against me where I'm like, what the hell happened there? And it frustrates you. And then you find out about things like pin tips or other suggestions. And I've used it to my advantage. I was in a best of nine series one time and it came down to game nine. And I got to pick the game and I picked a game. I thought this person has never played it. And he also doesn't know the one thing. And the game was TX Sector. So he's looking at the ramps. He's looking at multi-ball. Oh, what's this level up thing? And all I'm doing is lighting and hitting the spinner and destroyed him, which I'm not a better player than this person at all. I just knew that. And I got to tell you, it kind of felt dirty. But I mean, you know, Joe, Joe Lemaire did it to me at Indisc. He picked, uh, we were tied to go on to the next round and he picked Alice Cooper. I have never played the game. And Joe, first of all, would have beat me on any game, let's be honest. But that was a big advantage for him because he knew I definitely didn't know that game. But maybe that just means you should have learned how to play that game. Oh, you're my teacher now, are you? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I I got eliminated on Black Knight at in disc. If I knew more about Black Knight, maybe I wouldn't have got eliminated. I got crushed by the two kids that probably have played that game a thousand times, right? Uh, Colin and, and Jared, whereas I didn't have as much time on it, and I lost. So, And funny enough, that was in January. What do you do? You get a job at Stern going, I'll show those sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know whether we want to, want to delve into that, but you do now have a lot more knowledge about these machines than other people. So going into a tournament, you may have an advantage. Maybe, um, but if you ask me, I'll tell you anything. Yeah, that's my favorite thing about competitions. You know, Marty, you probably see it too. I have never withheld information from anybody who asks. Now, we're seeing it's not the best thing in the world to say, hey, do you know what you need to do here? Because people just want to play their own game. But if people ask, be an open book and tell them. I think that's cool. And Raymond does that for sure. Yeah, and so just going back to the to the edible, if I can potentially full stop it, Jeff... Is that <laughs> I I don't think anybody that I know has ever complained because they didn't know how to do edible. I think it's one of the first questions people will ask is what's like, how do you get into multiball and is there an edible and how do you do it? And they're not complicated answers. True. True. It, it is next level. I agree about that. So you're discounting me, your co-host, for several episodes for my concerns. You just don't care. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the final, final round. <laughs> I've been very, very clear since the start of this program about how much I don't care. Yeah, I know. We were actually going to call the show No Fucks Given. <laughs> yes, we were. <laughs> it was actually one of the titles that we had. <laughs> Speaking of episodes, by the way, this is episode 16. Marty, do you know what we've done? We've only been on air since February. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I know of this podcast that originally started a year ago at pin master so that's like march so we're now 18 months and they've only done 16 episodes and we've caught up to them really who's that it's called the do or die podcast only 16 and we've caught them in just a few short times sorry raymond you may be the number one player in the world but take a back seat to final round kid i guess i'll just have to find a way to bs about things without actual uh tournaments happening we do it every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. It's true. Speaking of bullshit, uh, okay, I saw it. It's on every Stern game. And forget wanting to know the Attaball. Forget wanting to find out multiball. I look at it, I'm like, oh, God, what the fuck does this do? The action button. <laughs> ah, yes. 
Yes. Um, so it is on Avengers, and it is used in, you know, the normal way of like uh, hedron colliders, hadron hadron colliders, or whatever. Guardians. Yeah. So it, it can be used like that, which is kind of intuitive. I think a lot of people get that. And then there's also one other use besides selecting things, which is another common use. Um, but you know, we've limited it to only basically those uh, those two uses. Uh, there were other times where I suggested, like, oh, we could use it here to do this or this, and Keith didn't really seem interested in it. So I think I think limiting it is good so that you don't have to you know learn a whole bunch of different obscure times like when the action button is used. Thank you, Keith. <laughs> well, again, clarifying for your dislike of the action button, Jeff, is you don't mind the action button. You don't like button mashing. That, that's exactly it. Raymond just gave a great example of Guardians, a game I own. I have zero problem with that. I have zero problem with uh, firing it on a cannon or uh, walker bombs or, you know, the one-time shots or whatever. I think that's great. Or, you know, selecting. It is the repetitive bashing when when balls are in play. I'm not a big fan of that. But I got to say, it's an old take. I don't see that much of it anymore. So I, I like. I, wow, I can't believe I'm putting this on tape. I actually like the way the action buttons have been used over the last several games. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has it for pizza, doesn't it? For pizza toppings or something? Yeah, I don't I don't know if you'll be a fan of that one. Oh, it's Dwight. Of course I won't. Dwight wants it to be... He, he asked for two action buttons, I believe. I love I love Dwight, but um, he knows I'm just kidding. He 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 loves needling me about the action button too. So Raymond, we're going to get back to competition soon. You're going to be the number one player in the world. Although I was trying to figure out, let's say what would happen come January, because I look at what Eric Stone did at Indisc and all those big finishes he, that he had there, and I'm wondering, okay, these guys are close. I wonder what the decay will be like. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. There is. No IFPA right now. No competitions are happening worth any value. We just have to sit and watch the decay. And what it really does, I find for the top players, is it brings them closer to the middle in a way, right? There might have been some separation, but as everything decays and all these great tournaments are worth 75% or only 50%, oh boy, we're going to see some probably movement. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You just have less data to go off of, so things are going to be less volatile, I guess. So you'll be on average, you know, in the same ballpark because um, there's just fewer events that count. So, you know, think about it. If there was only one event a year, people who got, you know, it would the ranking would just go in order, right? <laughs> First, second, third. So it kind of has that effect as there's less and less events. You know, me being such a tournament whore, and there's no other way to put it, and just going to different events in different leagues, it helps a guy like me who has a lot of options, whereas somebody... Let's put things into perspective. And don't you think for a second I haven't reminded him about this. There's going to be a date in November where I, Martin, your partner on podcasting, will be ahead of a former number one player in the world in Zach Sharp. We will highlight that to no end on this show when that happens. Oh, wow. So I, so, so, so a new player will come up and go, wow, that Teals is better than Sharp. It's not. It's just volume. But you're, you're in a, I guess... I think you're in a fortunate position, Raymond, in that you've had, 
I guess in the last couple of years is you've had a lot of your major wins. So kind of what you're saying with, with Zach is that as everybody's points start decaying at the three-year mark, well, you've banked up some good wins recently, so you're probably safe for a bit. Yeah, it's it's all about consistency. You know, if, if um, you do really well one year, but then don't do well for a couple of years and then do good again, well, that decay, that's going to hurt you when that older event falls off. But if you're doing good every year, then it doesn't really do anything. <laughs> I was fortunate enough to play at Pin Masters with Raymond last year. We were in the same group. And one of the things they do at these events is any kind of sharp run event, IFPA World Championships, another example, is because you're playing so many different games. What I do like about what the Sharps do is that they let every player play practice a game for 30 seconds. And Raymond, what do you do in those 30 seconds? Because I know what I do, but I'm just kind of curious what the number one player in the world does. I usually try to take a couple of flips from like a trap and then maybe from a roll if you can, just to see nothing worse than aiming at something and being completely off and draining in a horrible way. So you kind of just need to know the, the general physics of like, oh, okay, some games, it's like, oh, physics works on this game. Other games, you'll play it, and just based on how it's set up, it's like, wow, that shot is so late, or that shot is so early. So I want to try to just pinpoint a couple of those things. And then, of course, before your turn's up, you always got to tilt just to see where that's at, because um, you'll feel silly if if you're playing on needles and then the guy after you just shoves it into next year and never gets a warning. Do you prefer having a, a practice, or you're okay going in cold? Um, I think... If I hadn't haven't played it at all, I'll practice. But if I I've already played it, then I almost prefer not to practice, just because it's kind of doesn't really help you at all anymore at that point. And I'd almost rather have my just play play for real uh, mentality on because sometimes I noticed when I practice when I don't need to, <laughs> you're wasting some of your your goodness. You know, I I don't know. It's weird. It feels like that. Oh, because one thing I've noticed about you is you are a very adaptive player. If you if you're missing a shot, you will correct yourself really quickly. So in a way, that kind of gives you an advantage. If nobody can have a practice and you're better at adapting, you've got the advantage. Yeah, I mean that's true to a point. But if the games are set up hard enough, where you you might not get a second shot if you miss a shot, <laughs> then sure? you definitely want to practice. I'm in the same boat as Raymond. You know, if we've played a game over and over again, like a pump and dump, you don't need to practice when you get into playoffs should you make it. But the one time you do want to is, let's say the playoffs are the next day and they've made some adjustments. Maybe the tilts were too tight before or they weren't tight enough or the rubbers have been moved or whatever the case may be. Some alteration has been done. Boy, oh boy, you definitely want to practice after you've had a lot of experience on a game and it's basically a different game the next time you play it. Yep. The last thing I want to say to you, Raymond, is we appreciate you coming on the show. And I'd say, Marty, what do you think? He did a pretty good job for a, you know, a ho hum guest. I, I, you know, he, uh, I think he held his own. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Seriously, we have been looking forward to this. Obviously, uh, we had you on head to head. Oh, geez, a, a very long time ago, and it was. I will say the one thing I remember from that was feeling really good about myself because at the time, and you said it again today, is that. You are the number one player, but you don't know all the rules to every machine. And it was kind of like, oh, this guy is mortal. He is one of us. 
we can just focus on being able to flip better rather than having to have this massive advantage because we know all the rules backwards. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you do both, like uh, Escher, then you yeah. take everyone's butt left, right, center, sideways. Yeah. So if Escher ever applied for a job at Stern Pinball, would you just say, get the hell out of here? <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. He doesn't need any more. But I mean, I've heard young Colin Urban, who you know very well, too, say when he gets uh, older and gets done post-secondary, he'd like to be in pinball, too. So I love seeing guys like you. We mentioned Tim Sexton, obviously Keith and all these great players in all the different companies. Uh, You know, Stephen Bowden, Bowen Karens, all these people going to companies to make pinball better because, man, we are in a great age of pinball. Amen to that. Oh, I forgot one thing. Yep. I was going to give Marty crap for not wanting to buy an Avengers. Oh, don't oh, be like that. Do it. <laughs> you heard Loser Kid podcast. He mentioned it only because I've been to Marty's place and, you know, he has to choose from four games. So theme is important. And I understand. And you got Jurassic Park. So you got you got the check, check mark of owning a kick butt game. So. I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I have eight at my home and I like a mix of young, uh, older and new games. And I remember when I first saw Iron Maiden, how much I fell in love with that. And by the way, also like the theme too. I was once fortunate enough to actually be on stage at an Iron Maiden concert and introduce the band. I love this band. So that game came out and I'm like, do I get that? And the reason I didn't is because I knew like Marty, I would get to play it everywhere. So in a way, I have access to it like owning it. So I, I, I went for different titles where I knew I wouldn't get to see these games as much. That's all. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. It's almost as if the game is just too good for Marty. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, it just further to that is, because I've only got room for, for four machines, and if something comes in, something goes out. So Star Trek's never going to go. Wizard of Oz is never going to go. So it's out of Lord of the Rings or Jurassic Park. Now, oh man. Oh, don't make me do that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You, you, you get where I am? So, so what would have to go would be either Lord of the Rings or Jurassic Park. Now, Lord of the Rings isn't going to cover the costs of Avengers because it pretty much has to be. So, really, my only option is to get rid of Jurassic Park to get Avengers. I can't do that. I can't That's do that. That's your favorite theme. I, it's, it's, oh my God, I love it. I love the game. I love the theme. I love everything about it. I cannot sacrifice that to get an Avengers. There you go. Well, well said. Well said. Great. Thank you. In my defense. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Raymond. Thanks, buddy. All the best to you at Stern. Thanks, mate. Yeah, that was fun. Thanks, guys. There you go. There was Raymond Davidson or... David Raymondson, I think Ah, is. yes. You yeah, remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. What did we learn? Avengers looks to be pretty darn good. Looks like there's a lot packed in there. And, you know, he was talking about the pros versus the premiums. And you and I said this, I think, on Loser Kid. Let's just pretend we never saw the video for premium or LE and you just saw the pro. You'd be like, holy cow, there's a lot in that game. And that's just the pro. So, yeah. you know, uh, the premium certainly, it, that's the one thing I've really noticed is the gap between premium and pro is greater than I've seen in any other game in Stern in the last little while. So I, when, when we were on the Loser Kid podcast, I knew of, I think, two people that I knew in Melbourne that were getting one. Since then, I think I'm up to seven people I know that are getting them. And either Ellie, Ellie sold out within, 
think probably within an hour, maybe two hours that got sold out in Australia. And everybody else is getting premiums. Not a single person is getting a pro. But there's great things about the pro. You know, we had a conversation in our little Facebook chat and Greg Pavarelli was talking about all the great things in the pro. And I agree. I just think for the extra money, I like having that extra ramp. I like Mm -hmm. having the Doctor Strange spinning disc go up and down. I like the subway and the magnet lock too on the tower. You know, those are things that are noticeable. Plus you've got the actual gauntlet glove that lights up as opposed to a piece of plastic uh, that's just, you know, two-dimensional. I like it, uh, I, but I like all. I know if I get my hands on a pro or play one in a league or a tournament, I'm going to have just as much fun. So We did, obviously, we talk about this at length, that with a, a pro or a premium, even though, let's say, the premium's got something that's that's pretty cool. Jurassic Park, for example, I, I think that the, the dinosaur moving is phenomenal. But if you didn't have it, you would still have pretty much the the same if not similar at least 90% of the same game obviously the raptor pit is different as well but it's still doing pretty much the same thing it's not radically different this is different this changes the game i think enough yeah to compare i would relate it to imagine if jurassic park didn't have the jeep on there sure yeah okay yeah yeah different game yep yep different so That being said, uh, interesting we're talking about Avengers because uh, that brings us to our sponsor of the week. Just when you thought you'd be excited by Avengers Infinity Quest and the big reveal this month, what if in a snap it was all a lie? Stern Pinball wants you to think you live in a world where Avengers is the next title. You've been duped. Here at the Final Round Pinball Podcast, crack researchers and researchers on crack have discovered the truth. And we did the only logical thing we could do with this information. We blackmailed them to become our sponsor of the week. The actual next game from Stern is not Avengers. We present to you... Queen. Reliable sources have confirmed Queen is the next game. So are you ready? Are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? I am. Under pressure to cash in on the success of Bohemian Rhapsody, it's time for the hammer to fall on this new machine. Nothing is getting in the way of me owning this Queen machine, so get out of my way, fat bottom girls. Tie your mother down and don't stop me now and call your distributor today because I've run out of puns. So Raymond was lying the whole time. It was always Queen. It was always going to be Queen. Very reliable sources had told us. Mm. We didn't believe them, but yep, it's Queen and and I'm really looking forward to it. Let's just pretend, you know, that they've gone through all this trouble, Zombie Eddie, everyone, to put together this fake Avengers game. But let's say if it was real, let's talk about it. Yeah, sure. I've heard that there are a few other reaction videos to this. (laughs) There are. Um, we haven't got enough time to react to them all, but look, summary of the reaction from the videos and the pinball community at large is overwhelming positivity. Like it just is next level. 
Zach Many did, and I'm not joking, two hours and 15 minutes of reaction video where he went picture by picture, went through it all. That only took him 20 minutes, and then he spent the last hour and a half talking about the topper. <laughs> The topper looks great. It does, actually. I've got to say. And and what what's really interesting, though, because if you, if you look at the Jurassic Park topper, which got a lot of criticism, this isn't all that different. I mean, it really is just Perspex cutouts. But there's something about it that just kind of looks cooler. It looks better. It's got the, the Infinity Stones or gems, whatever they are, on, on the front. It kind of looks cool, and I'm assuming it's going to come with its own additional mode as well that's locked into the topper. But I'm not getting, I'm not seeing the same sort of grief that the Jurassic Park topper got. I mean, it's certainly just a piece of plastic with the images on there, but you know, you've got the stones, which are a big part of it. Jurassic Park, it was a sign and, and some plastic, and maybe the shock value of the price it comes with an extra mode that downloadable content if you will i think if this one comes out in the same price people now know that that's where the price is at if it comes up and it comes at 800 or something well then people are gonna be concerned about that but if you're owning an le can you think of one person who owns an le that doesn't at some point buy the topper well i never bought the topper for jurassic park i've got an le okay i i knew the answer to that but i didn't know if that's something you're going to purchase because you love that theme so much and there is more to it than just a piece of plastic on top it actually does something here's what i think if i felt that the code for jurassic park needed something extra Mm. maybe i would look at it but there's so much in it already that i haven't seen i don't feel i need anything more I know we should never say never, but do you see that game, which is a theme you absolutely love? You can quote that movie. It means a lot to you for not just here in 2020, but back when it came out in the early 90s. Can you ever see that game leaving your home? Um, well, at this, this stage, I guess no, because and we just obviously talked about it with, with Raymond, um, where he brought up the fact that he was having to go at me because I didn't want Avengers. It's not that I didn't want Avengers. It means that if I have Avengers, I don't have Jurassic Park. And I don't see Jurassic Park going at this stage. But again, never say never. Okay, if it was Harry Potter and I had to decide between keeping Jurassic Park and Harry Potter, I would get rid of Jurassic Park for Harry Potter. But that's not going to happen. So Jurassic Park is it. Why do you say that's not going to happen? I just don't see it happening for some time and just I guess I'm mentally preparing for it thinking well if it happens it happens if it doesn't I'm not going to sit here every day you know just being on the edge of my seat waiting for this game to be revealed it just may happen it may not happen who knows are there Harry Potter slot machines no there are Harry Potter social games which you know gambling for children oh like um buy to advance kind of thing like yeah okay yep 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 correct so they're, they're obviously there are money making properties out there but not necessarily of a gambling nature people said there wouldn't be a beatles game money changed that of and course. the people who had to pay for it was the end user and they did yeah there are other titles out there that are probably going to have a bit more expense to them whether it be because of the license because of what's put into it Elvira was more expensive. Batman 66 was more expensive. No pro models in those. I know, even though I'm not a big Harry Potter fan like yourself, that is the biggest slam dunk Mm. ever. And people would pay good money for it, without a doubt. 
I don't think I've seen all the movies. I've never read the books. But on the outside looking in, how could that not be? They have made theme parks where it's all about those things. You know, yeah. Star Wars is a pretty good license. Don't get me wrong. When I say pretty good, meaning maybe top three, but there's a lot of Star Wars, right? You can do a lot of different Star Wars things. Yeah, what you've also got to remember with the Star Wars, and Star Wars fans, please don't write in and, and have a go at me for saying this. Although they'll probably agree with me. What you've got to understand, with the Star Wars brand, it has had a bit of a rocky road in recent times. If Absolutely. You know, that. so you've got the first three movies, which everybody loves. The second three movies were, I think, overall not received well. And then the... The last three have had mixed feelings, so that brand has been on this roller coaster ride. Harry Potter hasn't. It's still riding high. Well, except for the stuff that J.K. Rowling has said recently. But besides that, let's take that out. I think she finally backpedaled, and so she should have when she was talking about transgender people, because I know the cast definitely was uh, oh, yeah. saying- They all went up in arms over it, yeah. Transgender woman is a woman, and- Yeah. I, I did read that J.K. did kind of backpedal on that, and- Good. Whether it yeah. was an apology or an explanation, but uh, that being said, the brand is huge. The the Broadway the play, huge. yep. What is it? The Cursed Child or something like that? Yeah, I've I actually was meant to have seen it. I actually had tickets. Um, my I bought tickets for my son's birthday, and it were, we were meant to have seen it in July. It got uh, re. It got delayed. I think till December, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be postponed again. But again, the last movie came out years and years ago. That hype is still there. It is still real. Hunger Games didn't capture it. Twilight didn't capture it. But, you know, the books of Harry Potter and translated into the movies, that's the golden license to get out there. Yeah, correct. And, and, and back to what you were saying, I think if it's a matter of money and the license is going to cost more than the Beatles, I think people would pay for it. I think if it came out and it was like a sea witch layout that was rethemed, I think people would be very disappointed, mainly because the world of Harry Potter requires to have, dare I say, a world under glass. Well, going back to what we talked about earlier, you said you wouldn't get in a plane with me if I was the pilot. I wouldn't (laughs) hop on the back of a broom if you were flying, all right, and playing a game of Quidditch. Just want to point that out. Tit for tat, all Mm. right, buddy? Yep, yep. How much of a nerd are you to even mention Quidditch? I had to look it yep. up, all right? I, <laughs> I don't cast a spell on me with your wand, Marty, all right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know what you see in the mirror of Erised. Keep going, move on. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'll say this. If they came out with a Harry Potter pinball machine, I don't know the brand that well. I would be invested to find out about the brand. Sure. And yep. a Game of Thrones did that for me. I never saw an episode of Game of Thrones, have since seen them all when I first played the game. But the game got me fascinated into that. I don't think Harry Potter needs to worry about that, but it would refresh people like me who know generally about, you know, uh, Hermione and Harry and Freddy and Tim. I forget all the other characters' names. <laughs> well, Fred was actually. There was a Freddy? The, the trim, yeah, the Fred, one of the Trim brothers. Okay. Um, but you, you know, you've seen enough, let's say, posters or even little snippets of the, the movies to know visually how well it would translate to a pinball machine, a fantasy-themed pinball. Well, anyway. here's a segue. Something like Harry Potter, definitely Avengers, 
certainly queen. These are things that would get people to put their quarters in or their loonies here in Canada, or their dollars in the States or in Australia, if they were on location. And again, we're seeing locations have some difficulties. We've talked about it. I'm not sure what it's like in Australia, because you guys are in really a a major lockdown that we're recording this on Saturday the 5th, and I believe tomorrow they announce some new guidelines for what's going to happen in Australia. But right now, any location pinball, that just doesn't happen. It's kind of the case here in North America limited if there is interaction with our patrons yeah zero here other states have have obviously got some locations happening but certainly nothing here keen to know if there's been sort of updates on some of the shows that, that are coming up yeah well we all probably got the notice if you were on the mailing list about chicago expo for expo to happen they have to be at stage five different than australia in the sense that the higher the number, the more relaxed things are. Stage five is there needs to be a vaccine. We're not at that stage yet. So okay, they have to have that before you can have any gathering of larger than 50 people in the state of Illinois. Expo isn't happening. It's going to be virtual now. And, you know, we'll certainly participate in that. And uh, I feel bad for Rob and, and certainly all the vendors and, and all the fans like you and I that love going to these type of shows. But you know, we're all in the same boat. That's one way of looking at it. It's not just woe is me. It's we're all the same. And uh, we look forward to a day when these come back. IAPA has announced that they're not going to be running in November in Florida. That is kind of a big one because it kind of piggybacked with Free Play Florida, another big Stern Pro Circuit event. But this is the one that kind of caught me off guard. And Marty, this is the first you're hearing it. The Houston Arcade Expo which I went to last year, had a wonderful time there. A lot of fun. People call it kind of the, the party festival. It is still going on. It's mask mandatory. There are a bunch of different restrictions. I think temperature checks. I think they're going to certainly do contact tracing, but they are still going ahead. And if they are, I wish them all the best because I did have a wonderful time there and they're good, good people there. But I'll be curious to see as we get closer to that November date, if in fact that still happens. Okay. I was no, I wasn't aware of that, and I just, I just thought everything at the moment would be cancelled. But you know, as long as they do it safe, please, and look after people, then good luck to you. I saw the long, long list of here's what's required. So I will say this: the list certainly makes me more comfortable. The difficulty is the traveling to get there, and of course, you're going to be around other people and whatnot. But um, we'll see. Um, if you lived in Houston, would you go? If I That's a great question. If I lived in Houston, would I go? The likelihood would be a lot more. I cannot imagine, but who knows? We're talking a couple of months from now. This is a late November event, and Phil Grimaldi uh, has a big part of that too. He was a guest here on Final Round before, so we love what Phil does. Boy, that's a good question. Would I go? I usually go to these events to play in tournaments. I enjoy the other things, but the number one reason I go to these events are because of the tournaments, and it's the other things that I'm rewarded by. But this, I cannot imagine, just speculating, I know nothing, that IFPA will be up and going by November. And if that's the case, there probably wouldn't be a tournament. There might be a tournament where it's cash only. Uh, Okay, I've never played a tournament with the hopes of winning cash ever, which is stupid because that seems more valuable than fake mystery whopper points that the IFPA give out. Yeah. <laughs> There's one in Melbourne. Would you go? No. That's a hard no. 
that's a that, that's an easy no but also right now we're at stage four restrictions uh by then it would be stage three restrictions so i don't i don't even think the possibility of it would happen so i didn't think the possibility of this would happen i, I wouldn't risk it yeah you have to certainly look at your own health and the people that you're around but um well, as you know, we, 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 um, our event to the Melbourne Silver Ball Championship and Flip Out was meant to be the first week of December. It's been cancelled. So the answers are already there. Yeah. What's the restlessness of people? Because obviously jobs are being affected. Forget the, the fun social and travel and vacation aspect of it and what we enjoy about shows and tournaments. Maybe that's a big breadwinner for whoever runs show A, B, C, D. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a reason for putting these things on. Ah, uh, boy. You know, I wish we had some better answers to help, but, you know, we pass along the information. Again, if you want to find out about Houston Arcade Expo, there's lots of information on, online, and it, it shows all the requirements to enter the show should it happen in November. And uh, fingers crossed, you know, maybe we uh, are closer to that vaccine. So... I, I think yeah. we're, that should be, you know, people at work, they do things like, uh, oh, Jenny's pregnant. Let's have a baby guess and guess the date, guess the weight. We should do guess the vaccine. <laughs> we should. We should. But, but, but speaking, of, speaking of woe is us, let's bring it back to us. Because what you've got to remember, okay, yes, Queen has just been revealed, Avengers Infinity Quest. But don't forget, we've still got other launches coming up. And the one that I... Look, I'm I'm fine missing a show. The one thing that I'm I really am gutted missing is not being able to be over there for the Deep Root launch because we were going to be you and I were going to be guests uh, of Robert Mueller and just can't make it. That's the one thing that I I would have loved to have been there for the launch of this company, this brand, and their machines. Yeah. We originally were invited in March, as it happened before TPF. You and I were both going to that, and that is the start of when all the lockdowns happen and the, the travel bans and certainly the size of venues. And uh, that was kind of the first real casualty in the pinball world. This is going to be happening very soon. Robert again reached out to us and invited us to come. We cannot because of travel restrictions, but uh, that is also this month. So we look forward to that, and and we certainly think of our good friends in Stephen Bowden, who has a lot on his plate, and boy, he's, he's the right guy to do it too, because he knows pinball, he knows fun, this is his first kind of crack at rule sets, but he appreciates that you have to have something for the novice and something for the experienced player, so it'll be neat to see his mixes in that. And that's just one of the events that are going to be happening in September. We've got the Stern one, we've got Deep Root, and Jersey Jack, although not confirmed, we've been told, hashtag patience, that should be coming out this month too. There are people that sort of mentioned online that the Guns N' Roses machine has already been made, so we should see that any day now. I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody on Facebook posted on one of our pages, we saw it somewhere that they've actually been shipped to Australia. And I thought, I don't know if I believe that, but who knows? Who knows? What I do know is Jersey Jack fans like myself will be very excited to know that these are all going to be coming from the new factory, which certainly can ramp up a lot more games a lot quicker than in the past. So that's exciting. And uh, it'll be so neat to see, and we haven't, Eric's Playfield. Boy, he's an innovative guy and I love seeing new designers. Yep. Absolutely agree. But what we are 
probably overlooking is the best new product that is finally going to be shipped. Forget a new pinball machine, forget Stern, forget Jersey Jack, forget Deep Root. The Stern book is about to be shipped. <laughs> they, I've seen photos of them. They've all been printed. They've been signed. They're getting ready to be shipped. I am getting my Stern book. Were you in Can on you that? Can you believe it? Yes. I was like, I pledged like 250 bucks for it. What? Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Yep. Well, yep. didn't Jack Danger on one of his social medias kind of flip through pages? And yeah. I, th- I saw Steve Bowden reposted on Fun with Bonus and it looked pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a real thing. It's exciting times in pinball, Marty, and uh, we appreciate uh, Raymond Davidson coming on the program. Did an excellent job and look forward to see his fine work in the Avengers slash Queen game. Don't forget to check out the Dead Flip stream for all your Avengers excitement. It's been a nice start to the month, but it's uh, only going to get better, I think. Yeah, we said September's going to be a big month. It's off to a good start. Let's see what the remainder will give us. So that means October might suck. So that's, you know what? We're going to put on the back burner our little most underrated pinball game, little bracket, because we're still trying to figure out polls and gifts on the new Facebook. Uh, Zuckerberg, you shit the bed, yeah. man. That The new Facebook sucks. <laughs> it does suck. Give I'm us our freaking polls. But I don't like it. So we'll just wait for things to slow down. We're in no rush for that, you know. We, we can wait. We're not. No, and but one thing you can be guaranteed is that we will still give you a podcast every fortnight. You're welcome or sorry, depending on what you think of us. Some of it may be true. Most of it will be bullshit, but we're going to have fun yep. doing it. It's final round and we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Thanks very much, Marty. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay safe. Oh